She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Kolchek the Night Stalker. Episode 6. Firefall. In this episode, strange deaths appear to match descriptions of spontaneous combustion, but all the victims are associates of a famous conductor who has been seen at all the crimes, and there have been eyewitnesses, including Kolchek, that put him elsewhere during the fires. After a close call of his own, Kolchek comes to believe that a murderous doppelganger is trying to take over the conductor's life. Now Kolchek just has to figure out who the doppelganger really is before they add him to their growing list of victims. Ooh. Yeah. This episode was written by Bill S. Ballinger and directed by Don Weiss. Its original air date was Friday, November 8th, 1974 at 10 p.m. Yeah, and Firefall really sounds like an X-Files episode. Mm-hmm. It really does. I could see, like, aliens and, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It'd be pretty yeah. sweet. So we get the standard Kolchak opening sequence. And then, as is what usually happens in these episodes, we start out with Kolchak listening to his recorder. And then we'll come back to that at the end. So he's sitting in the back of a car. And he's listening to his recorder. And he's reminiscing about Penny Arcades. And he has an arcade memory of his own, too. Only it's about one of the most terrifying experiences of his life. So we are inside said arcade. And there's a bunch of men, both young men and not so young men. And they're playing a variety of games like pinball and target shooting. And there's like a Zoltan, the fortune teller. And then there's even a few early video games. Because remember, this is 1974. So, And then we're told it's September 3rd, 1 a.m. So Rubino's Arcade might be a little different from the one you remember. It hosts bagman pickups, narcotics drops, and even a few cleanups. And Frankie Markoff, a convicted arsonist, is playing his favorite pinball machine when suddenly two men come up to him. Boom, boom, boom. Three shots. And he falls to the floor. Dead. Frankie Markoff has been cleaned. Mm. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Oh. So we watch a funeral procession that's driving through town and there's like a single police motorcycle escort and black hearse limousine and a lot of Cadillac. So it's like, you know, pretty good sized procession. And there's like a stretch of three lanes and the procession's in the right lane. But in the center lane, there's a Rolls Royce and it's driving along the procession. And the passenger in the Royce is Ryder Bond. And he's a former musical wonderkin and now world famous conductor. And apparently he has a deadly penchant for being on time. So uh, (laughs) the Rolls Royce accelerates and it makes a right turn directly in front of the hearse to like cuts it off to turn in front of it. And I mean, that's probably bad luck. You probably don't want to cut off a hearse if you can avoid it or really anyone just don't cut people off. But it's it seems like everything's okay. Like there's no collision. So things are good. I'm sure it's all fine. Yeah, probably. Maybe. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get shots of the Chicago skyline and the coast and maybe some downtown shots, too. We get some new footage here. And, of course, that's when we get the credits, right? Right. And then we zoom into a building window and we're inside and there's some old guy. He's sleeping on his bed and he's got his full pajamas on and his robe and his slippers. And I'm thinking, man, you're probably hot sleeping in that. And we find out that it's now September 7th at 640 p 
a.m. So it's four days later from when Frankie Markov got shot. And in the bed is George Mason. He is the first violin and concertmaster of the Great Lake Symphony. And he's taking his customary pre-concert nap. But it looks like I was right. And he was hot because poof. And there's a bunch of smoke. And when it clears, George Mason is just a charred blackened husk of a corpse. And then we see this very rich looking lady coming down a hallway outside George Mason's apartment and her dog Randolph starts getting upset. And we see what he sees is an apparition that looks a lot like Ryder Bond, but it's kind of mischievous looking. And the little doggy just like loses his mind. Woo! He wants to get out of the hallway. And, but then the apparition just disappears quickly. And the woman continues to struggle with the dog because Randolph really wants to get out of that hallway as soon as possible. Yeah, the dog's super freaked. It's like backing up and pulling away. It's not happy. (laughs) And so this is totally unrelated, but George Mason, Georgia Mason, is one of the protagonists in what is probably my favorite book series of all time, which is Newsflesh by Mira Grant. And Georgia Mason is a reporter. She's like a journalist, a blogger. And it takes place like 20 years after the zombie, like, outbreak and so like humanity is basically adapted and she and her brother are trying to cover this like presidential campaign and there's like all this stuff about how people use the zombie virus for political gain and people like use the virus to get legislation through to be like restrictive and do all sorts of horrible things and corporations profit from like blood tests and all this stuff and there's like some measures that are real security that you can take and then some that are like security theater so it does not relate in any way at all to the past year that we have just lived through or the past 40 years (laughs) or 100 years or yeah it's really 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 good the first book is feed and i highly recommend it it's really really amazing the whole series is just it's I think she wrote it in like the late 2000s anyway, but it's really, really good. But anytime, anytime I see or hear the name George Mason, I just think of George. And I'm like, oh, it's George. It's Georgia. But it's, it's not George because obviously this is an old man and not a disaffected reporter who loves Coca-Cola. Yeah. So definitely in the time frame you said it when it was written is definitely a war on terror related kind of. Well, it, I think a lot of the security theater stuff and the author has actually, the author is actually Shauna McGuire writing under Mir Grant. And she's actually said like, a lot of it was inspired by like the security theater at the airports and how like after 9-11 mm-hmm. there was all these. So a lot of that was inspired yeah. by it. But a lot of the stuff that happens in feed, like as they talk about when the outbreak started and people didn't believe it and people would refuse to follow precautions and stuff and get killed. <laughs> I reread it last year during the pandemic and I'm like, mm, this is very uh, on the nose a little bit. Okay. Everyone so, yeah. was rewatching Contagion and you were reading New flesh series. I was rereading oh, the new flesh series, which is so good. It's so fucking, it's so freaking good. Anyway, yeah. So that is my George Mason. So every time I hear that name, I'm like George. But you know, obviously different. Okay. George Mason. Yeah, I mean, I immediately would have thought of like George Mason University, which is in Fairfax, Virginia, and it's only a 10 minute side trip between the 35 mile trip between FBI headquarters in Washington D.C. and Quantico, Virginia. So yeah. I'm actually surprised George Mason University hasn't shown up in the X Files. At least it hasn't so far yeah it probably it might oh. i mean just due yeah. to its location it's really close i mean i was surprised yeah. to find out how close it was when i actually mapped it because i was like there's a and i wasn't exactly sure where it was and so i looked and i'm like oh oh crap why isn't that in the next files anyway so yeah so kolchek has heard about mason's death on the police band and he hopes that he's going to beat the local paparazzi to the scene of course he does not and he surmises they probably got police bands too 
So it appears the body is already gone. And there's just like a blackened outline of like burned sheets left on the bed. It's like in the shape of a body. And so Kolchak tries to ask some questions as he usually does. But a tall blonde man in a gray suit tells the officers to clear the room. He's Sergeant Mayor. And as he walks Kolchak out of the room, he tells Carl, the case is obvious. Mr. Mason was smoking in bed. And that's not a good thing, right? Then it catches fire and you die. And Kolchak's like, but there's like no ashtrays in the room. And Mayor quips that that was his problem. Yeah, exactly. So so then Mayor calls Mrs. Sherman into the room. And that's the woman we saw with the dog earlier. So in passing, Kolchak makes like little, like the doggy equivalent of like little goo-goo baby noises to Randolph. And Mrs. Sherman is very pleased that he is giving her dog attention. Mm -hmm. But then Mayor like guides her like into the room and, you know, so... And then she's seated with Randolph and she tells him the time was exactly 15 minutes before seven because she always takes Randolph out for his nighty night stroll from 630 to seven. And Kolchak is listening outside because it's a separate room, but like it doesn't have a door. So it's just like it's a fancy apartment, you know, so it's got like a little entryway and all that kind of stuff. So Kolchak is listening outside and then he strolls in and starts asking some questions about Randolph. And then again, like Mrs. Sherman is super pleased that like someone is, you know, loves her dog as much as she does and so he gets less than that kind of attention from mayor though mayor calls for officer turner to escort kolchak from the premises and so as they're leaving like kolchak trips and he tries to hear more of what they're talking in the other room and mrs sherman says yes i did recognize him so and mrs sherman has some really strong mrs slocum vibes from are you being served I don't know if you've ever seen Are You Being Served? Nope, I have no idea uh, what that is. Okay, well, you should look up Are You Being Served. So the only difference with Mrs. Slocum is that she was always talking about her cat, mm. and she would always say, call it her pussy, because it's oh. British humor from the 70s. It was lots of, like, oh, gotcha. innuendos and double entendres. And so that was the joke, was she'd always be talking about her pussy. So, yeah. Anyway. So, Kolchik's basically shoved out of the apartment and he heads to the elevator but then he kind of like hangs out around the corner out of sight and not too much later miss sherman comes out with randolph and they walk past kolchek and randolph doesn't seem like to super like kolchek a lot but miss sherman says that sergeant mayor definitely takes a dim view of kolchek <laughs> so sort of under his breath kolchek's like well that's because mayor's a dimwit and then he asks about the man that miss sherman saw And she says that as a fan of the symphony, she could hardly fail to recognize Ryder Bond, though she does admit she didn't realize it was him at first. And Kolchak, like, kind of mentions that she could crush up an aspirin in a bowl of warm milk to calm her dog's nerves because he's he's very shaken after this encounter, you know. So then Kolchak races to the symphony because Bond is conducting that night. So he's like, well, okay, I'll get over there. I'll beat the police and I can interview him and get in and get out. And so he knocks on Bond's door and Bond answers and Kolchak introduces himself and he informs him that George Mason is dead. And Bond is like, that can't be true. He's probably, you know, I'm sure he's like, doesn't believe it at all. And then Philip, his assistant comes in and is like, Mason's still not here and no one can contact him. And so then Bond like cuts him off and is like, okay, maybe he is dead if no one can get a hold of him and he hasn't like checked in yet. And so he tells Kolchak that he was a friend and he was the backbone of his symphony. So like, why wasn't he notified of this man's death? And Kolchak starts asking where he or the young lady in his room were at 6.30 tonight. And Bond starts yelling and Philip runs back in. 
And Bond starts ranting about why he wasn't informed. And Philip is like, it was probably in the message I gave you like 15 minutes ago in the orchestra pit. It looked urgent. Didn't you read it? And Bond is like, what message? I've been in my room with this beautiful young lady for the last two hours. And then Kolchak asks Philip if anyone saw him give Bond the message. And Philip is like, yeah, like the entire orchestra was right there. And Kolchak's about to ask another question when Sergeant Mayor appears at the door. And so then Kolchak has to like skedaddle. Yeah. And Bond is like, Kolchak's trying to ask questions. He's like, no, no, she only speaks French. She can't, she can't answer your question. So the young lady in his room conveniently only speaks French. So, right. Yeah. And Kolchak does not. Kolchak does not. Oh, we he assume. Maybe he was getting ready to. And then Philip came in. <laughs> Who knows? He was going to bust out some parlez-vous some français. That'd yeah. be cool. Yeah. So then it's the next day and we're at the INS offices and Monique is working on something at the desk, like a big chalkboard. And then Vincenzo asks where Mrs. Cowles is. And Monique tells him that she's out sick. And so he's like, well, who's going to do the puzzle? And she's like, me, I'm going to do the puzzles. And then we see like what she's actually doing that big chalkboard is this like pre set up for all the squares. And so she's blocking out the squares to make the crossword puzzle. So, yeah. Yeah. So Tony kind of rolls his eyes a little like, oh, great. OK, what's this going to be like? And then he walks over to Kolchak's desk and like Kolchak is just like lost in thought. And Vincenzo peers at the typewriter and he's like, page one, stop daydreaming. I need that story. The subscribers need that story. So Kolchak has not been working on what he's supposed to be working on because he's obviously thinking about something else. So. Yeah. And now we have the answer to what kind of puzzles Mrs. Cowles does because you were asking last time. Yeah, apparently she does the crossword at least, possibly others, but yeah, at least the crossword. Yeah. So, and it's kind of interesting to see how they um did those back in the day. I would not have thought of that, but that makes sense that you would have a giant, like prefab chalkboard that was already gridded out, and you would just block off your black spots and then fill it in. Yeah. Yeah. So Kolchek has been pondering about Mason's death. And he's like, the bed just had a burned outline. The whole apartment should have caught fire with what they said happened, happened. And then there's the thing with Bond. And Vincenzo's like, whatever, get to work. And he's like, fine, fine, I'll get to work. And he's like, it's hard to get excited about a small-time homeowner fraud scandal. And Vincenzo's like, small time. And then he goes on and on about how he'd feel different if he owned a home and was lied to and had to do all the paperwork and this and that. And Kolchak is like, ah, oh, you got taken. And it turns out that Vincenzo did get taken. He was swindled into a fumigation fraud. So, yeah. Yeah. But never mind that. Just forget about Mason and Bond and finish the story. So, right. And so Ron Updike has walked over to get Vincenzo to sign something and he interjects and he's like, forget about Ryder Bond. And he's like, no one could do that. Like, he's clearly a fanboy, which is awesome. And he reminds Vincenzo that if they have a story about Ryder Bond, he should remember that Updike has a musical background. He played French horn. And Kolchak is not surprised about that at all. And Vincenzo tells Kolchak he can do whatever he wants after lunch. But until then, he has to write. And he storms back into his office. And meanwhile, Monique is like trying to rhyme words for her puzzle. And Kolchak just kind of puts his head down on the typewriter. He's just like giving up. Yeah. So then it's September 8th. And Felicia Porter, a Sorbonne graduate and international music groupie, steps out of the pool. And the sun that day was hot, but not hot enough for what was about to happen. Uh -oh. Ooh. Yeah. So Felicia sees a reflection in the water, 
And what she sees is that mischievous apparition that Mrs. Sherman and Randolph saw. And she calls out, she's like, writer. And then she sees it off to the side and then disappears. And it would seem that she speaks more than French because she doesn't even have an accent. So this is the young woman who was in Ryder Bond's room at the symphony. Mm -hmm. So she puts on her bathing suit cover and she sees the apparition again. And then she's like really confused. So she sits down on the pool lounge and then she kind of lays back and then poof, lots of smoke. And this other couple comes strolling around one of the hedges to go use the pool. And they're like, oh, and the woman screams. And as the smoke clears, we can kind of make out the charred remains of Felicia Porter. Bye, Felicia. You're dead. Sorry. Yeah. So, Sad. Yeah. We're going to learn that this apparition is actually trying to take over Ryder Bond's life and take over his body. And so, I mean, maybe because I'm a dude, but I'm like, why would you kill the hot groupie? Like, what are you thinking, dude? I mean, really, why kill anyone? Like, he's killing these people in a circle. And if you're trying to take over his life and his body, that doesn't seem like the most efficient way. Yeah. Well, we'll learn. It's, I think it's because he's trying to wear him down. And so you make him upset and it makes it easier to take over. But still, why would you kill the groupie? But maybe yeah. that's just me being a dude saying, like, <laughs> dude, hot chick, what are you doing? But <laughs> so and then we have a commercial because someone died. <laughs> that's what we do. So, yep. All of these shows, I'm pretty sure. So then there's an aerial shot of the Chicago coast. And then we see Mayor and he's interviewing the couple at the poolside. And Kolchak arrives and he starts taking photos and he overhears Mayor's questioning. And Mayor believes Felicia Porter must have dropped a cigarette and then was too drunk to recover or like get out of the chair before it burned her alive, which, oof, you'd have to be pretty drunk. And the woman, Janice, gets mad about the accusation that Porter was drunk, but calms down when Mayor asks if anyone else might have been around to see what happened. And the man says, Janice did think she saw someone, but then Janice is like, well, I'm not so sure. It was like a flash out of my periphery. And I thought I saw a man standing nearby, but that would have been impossible because then no one was there. So it must have been nerves or some kind of optical illusion or something. So then Kolchak comes over and he describes someone who sounds like Ryder Bond. And Janice is like, oh, yeah, that could have been who I saw. Yeah. And Mayor's obviously not happy. And he calls over Officer Hermel to escort Kolchak away from the scene. And Kolchak's like, let me guess. The police department says a dropped cigarette caused the cushion to catch on fire. And he's like, yep, that's it. And he's like, well, then why didn't the cushion burn up too? Because like the only thing that was burned was the body. And you can see like there's like a charcoal outline but like mm -hmm. the cushion is fine it's totally intact so and mayor retorts that if they have any reasons to worry about that they'll ask the arson department and kolchak's like well you should probably start worrying and harmel kind of pulls kolchak away yep So then from above, we see Carl running down a street and he enters a building and it's the actual building that holds the INS offices. And then we see Ron and Vincenzo in the office and they're actually in Vincenzo's office inside with the door closed. And we can't hear them, but Ron is definitely complaining about something and keeps pointing towards the main area. And Tony's like, yeah, yeah okay. Uh, and like he puts his hand over his face. So they're probably talking about Kolchak, I bet. And... All the while, the only thing we can hear is what sounds like someone typing like 120 words a minute. It's just clackety clack, 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 ding, 
ding. Just so someone is ripping on the typewriter. And then Ron and Vincenzo approach Kolchek's desk, and we find out that it was Kolchek typing. And Ron kind of stands in front of the desk while Tony kind of comes around to the back and looks at what Kolchek is typing. And then he kind of grimaces and he reaches over and rips the paper out of the machine. Vincenzo's like angry because Kolchek is basically making unwarranted allegations of murder, while Ron seems more focused on the character assassination of one of his idols, Ryder Bond. And so both, like, they're taking turns, they're asking how someone so important and powerful could commit such a crime. And Kolchak's like, well, I don't know. Maybe he just, like, with his thunderbolts from on high, because obviously he can do no wrong, right? So the tag team continues and results in Vincenzo basically tearing up the story. And then he and Ron walk off. And Vincenzo tells him to finish the story he's supposed to be writing. And that is it. So and he actually gets a little line in about like writing about the swindle. And then when he's done with that story, he can talk about the biggest swindle of all, which is him having a job in the newsroom. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Kolchak grabs his hat and his coat and his gear and he heads out and he kind of stops for a moment. It's like, like he threw Ed Vincenzo through the door and then Tony runs out after him and starts yelling at him. But Kolchak is gone. He took off. So. Yeah, yeah. Like, like little kids, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So then Kolchak is at some place that specializes in fire safety, possibly the arson department. Who knows? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's someone, this is, the scene cracked me up because like there's this guy in this hazmat suit and there's like this little corner of the room that's like kind of separated from things, but there's like no partitions or glass to like keep it enclosed in any way and so he's wearing this hazmat suit and he's got this like wall of flames that are incinerating this decorated christmas tree because i guess they're like testing it for flammability and a guy in a white lab coat mr cardinali is explaining that the tree will never be sold because it catches fire too easily and kolchak asked what it would take to completely burn a human body in 10 to 15 seconds and cardinali supposes like a couple thousand degrees would probably do it and Kolchak is like, well, is there like a substance that can do that? And Cardinali starts to get kind of angry because like that kind of substance obviously wouldn't be available to the public. And if someone did have a substance that was capable of that, they would have some kind of military connection. And honestly, even he would like to know if something like that existed because that doesn't even sound real. And so Kolchak leaves and the Christmas tree is still just like burning and the guy's just standing there watching it. It is so, so funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm not sure. At first I thought it was like a product testing place, but then like the guy knows a lot about like fire stuff, I guess. So yeah. he's, he's kind of like fire freak baby a little bit. So. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So Cardinal is actually played by David Doyle who would go on to play Bosley in Charlie's Angel, which was actually okay. a role written for Tom Bosley, which is what the character's name is, Bosley. But uh, Tom Bosley couldn't take it because he was in Happy Days. And then David Doyle also, later, he was the voice of Lou Pickles, Grandpa, in Rugrats. Okay. So, yeah. And then he was also like in an episode of Murder, She Wrote, but sadly not one with Tom Bosley. So. Yeah, a lot of people are Murder, She Wrote. I love that show so much. 
Yeah, I thought Tom Bosley was actually in more episodes than he was. He was only like in 19 of them. I thought he was in almost like all of them. But I Well, I mean, not. she like travels around everywhere. And then That's everywhere true. she goes, there's like murder. Yeah, and it's, he's just a sheriff. So so like he's not going to go on a cruise with her unless they're like. Right, exactly. Up, so. But, you know, she has yeah. to go on a cruise where people are murdered. <laughs> solve the murder. Yeah. And then she has to go to her cousin's wedding in the country. And then she has to yeah. go to Lake Tahoe. And there's like a ski adventure murder. I'm pretty sure that exists. Or I made yeah. it up. Possibly that was fan fiction I wrote when I was eight. <laughs> you is... were writing Jessica Fletcher fan fiction. Oh, my God. I I was so my grandma was a huge fan of murder she wrote and i watched matlock i watched murder she wrote and like we would like solve we would get those like mystery kits you could buy and like try and solve <laughs> the mysteries we were super yeah i was super into that stuff so even as a kid i was like super into like crime mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and tom bosley is going to show up in Colcheck cure towards the end of the series too oh, so cool. let's bring it back around so nice yeah. And then we get a shot of the city, and Kolchak is driving, and we find out that it's September 9th, 5.30 p.m., and Kolchak has two equally unsettling options, that either Ryder Bond is burning up all his associates, like with pyrokinesis, or, as Mr. Cardinale said, there is something completely inexplicable occurring that needs to be discovered. So Kolchak is approaching the auditorium, and we see that Bond is actually getting into a car with someone else and they leave. And so like they pass as Kolchak's coming in the auditorium. So he like flips to you and he follows him. Bond was supposed to be performing at a matinee concert, but instead he seems to be in this car with Philip Burke, the treasurer and manager of the Great Lake Symphony. And this is not the same Philip that is his assistant. So there's two Philips, which is kind of confusing a little bit, but different guy. So Kolchak follows him through the city, but then at one point they kind of like go through a yellow light but then Kolchak stops because it turns red. And so he's stuck. And so mm-hmm. he kind of loses him. I do like in Kolchak's narration that the way he phrases it is that something freaky has flipped in his brain and he can just burn people now. And like, but that's completely separate from something that no one else knows about or could even understand. Like those two things are like completely different. <laughs> right. <laughs> little molder going on there we're like this is totally understandable yeah, biokinesis you could have, but yeah, like you could have you could have a psychotic break and suddenly be able to burn people by thinking about it or something completely strange and ununderstandable could be happening yeah okay yep super molder i love it <laughs> and so the next thing we see is a police car with lights flashing and it pulls up to the car that kolchik had been following and the car's on fire and from the inside, we can see like there's this black smoke billowing out and Kolchak arrives and the police are trying to extinguish the flames and Rourke is dead, but Bond is nowhere to be found. So like, he's like, there should be a second body in that car. And the cop's like, well, not right now. Like if he was nope. in the car, he's not in there at the moment. Yep. He just disintegrated so. if he was, cause there ain't nobody else in there. So yeah. I mean, I can put, I'll put a pin in this because I'm going to come back to this. Okay. Yeah. Cause we have, yeah. Cause we haven't anomalous. actually talked about that part yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess Kolchak decides to go ahead and check out the matinee concert that Bond was supposed to be at. And Ryder Bond is there and he's conducting and the concert's like well underway. So he's kind of confused, but he's also kind of relieved because that means Bond isn't dead because he pretty much had assumed that Bond was burned up in the car because he saw him in the car. So both confused and relieved, Kolchak just, okay, so he leaves. And then it's nighttime, and we pan across the city from, like, Lake Michigan view, and so we see all the lights of Chicago, and then we see Kolchak is driving, 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 driving. And then then we see he's at an elevator inside a building. He's pushing the bell outside two large double doors, and one of the doors opens, and it's Ryder Bond. And so Kolchak is like, so I admit you have a right to slam a door in my face, but like there's some questions that need answers and no one seems to be asking them. 
So Bond doesn't say anything, but he just kind of like gesture for Kolchak to come in. And so Kolchak comes in and he offers his condolences regarding Felicia Porter and Bond gestures for him to sit down. And then Kolchak kind of walks ahead of him and sits down and kind of turns around and is getting his like recorder ready because he's going to do his interview. And he thanks Bond for his equanimity. And then as he turns around, before he does, we see that Bond just kind of just disappears. Literally, he vanishes right before our eyes. Mm-hmm. So when Kolchak turns around, there's no Mr. Bond. So he's like, Mr. Bond, Mr. Bond, sir. So he gets up and starts like looking through the rooms of the apartment. And he enters an empty bedroom. And as he goes in, the door slams behind him. And then suddenly the curtains ignite. And he backs away from the curtains and the dresser ignites. And then the bed ignites. And the whole room is on fire. But he manages to get the door open and escape the room before it is completely engulfed in fire. Right. Speaking of which, fire! So yeah. <laughs> this is a uh, very reminiscent of the episode fire. It is. So, it's yeah. really similar. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was going to say about the car thing. It, well, I don't know. Maybe we can bring it up later. Basically, we learned that like if you don't fall asleep, like the first two people fell asleep, like the one guy was napping, the other woman like slept on the um, chair, the pool lounge mm-hmm. chair. And then this guy's driving. So like, obviously, like he can ignite fires from somewhere. It's just kind of weird because it's like, then Kolchak's told that he'll be safe if he doesn't fall asleep. And like, but if this guy can just manifest fire, I'm not sure exactly why that's true. So it's a little anomalous. Yeah. Well, maybe because like, if you're out in the open, it's easier to escape fire. If I just like ignite fire. And so if you're asleep, it's easier because you're asleep. Right, but like if you're in a car, it's not easy to get out of a car when it's moving. Yeah. So maybe that Although Kolchak's in a car a lot and doesn't seem to... Anyway, yeah. It's just one of those things where they give you this rule and then you're like, wait a minute. That doesn't quite yeah. fit. Yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah. Because we'll find out later. We're going to hear later that the, it's the sleep thing that kind of is like it's easier to... And I'm thinking maybe it's just easier to do it if he's sleeping. But yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So then after visiting the parapsychology department at the university... Kolchak learns he is likely dealing with a doppelganger, which is a malicious ghost of a dead person who takes on the appearance of a living person. And they give him a lot of books and information. They obviously don't believe in such things. But Kolchak's like, well, sometimes you just need to get the information directly from someone who knows about this stuff, regardless of whether they believe in it or not. Yeah. And I had tagged this a little bit because the parapsychology department, I just admit, like, we're a decade out and then we're a decade out going the other way too to the X Files, but like Kolchek and the Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's what I thought at first too. Yeah. The parapsychology department. I Although they would have believed him because they're ready to believe you. So, yes, they are. Yeah. Except Winston at first, but he gets over it. Yeah. He has seen shit that will turn you white. <laughs> so yep. god i love the ghostbusters <laughs> in all forms really i used to watch this cartoon called extreme ghostbusters it was awesome oh had, is like, that this... is that that's different than the real ghostbusters yeah well because i watched that when i was growing up and then when okay. i was like in high school there was the extreme ghostbusters which egon is like teaching this new generation of people and so there's like oh, kylie who's this, like okay. she's this goth girl and so she's a ghostbuster and then there's like a couple other people and like it was just super fun it was a fun cartoon i really liked it okay anyway tangent this Today is Tori's Tangent Day, where there's just all this other <laughs> stuff that I like that relates vaguely to this. So Kolchak walks into the little Romani tea room where a young woman is reading tea leaves and she's like, 
telling a fortune or giving advice to these two women. And upon seeing Kolchak, she adds the advice that if they should ever cross paths with a lying reporter, they should never talk to him about any robberies they may have witnessed because he'll disappear and the police will arrive. And the women are like, oh, I don't know if I understood that. (laughs) It's really, it was a good, I thought it was a good moment. So they leave having gotten their reading. And the woman, Maria, sits down with Kolchak and he apologizes for what happened with the cops and the robberies. And he starts to tell her that he thinks he has ghost trouble and she looks really concerned. And then he says he thinks it's a doppelganger and she bursts out laughing. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm serious. And she tells him like a doppelganger is the spirit of a dead person who is trying to wear down and take over the body of someone they admire or envy. So obviously Kolchak can't have a doppelganger because who would admire or envy him? And she just basically assumes like, oh, you started nosing around in something. Now someone wants to kill you. And she's like, well, I could probably give you some information about this, but, you know, information is not free. And she does tell him that the doppelganger can only take final control of the person while the person is sleeping. And it'll basically kill Kolchak the minute he falls asleep. But the spirit can't operate on sanctified ground. So, like, you can go to a church or something. You'll be fine. You know, just hang out in a church forever. Mm -hmm. Won't be a problem. Just like the hunchback in Notre Dame. Sanctuary, sanctuary. So to stop it, Kolchak needs to find out who it is and find the remains and convince or trick the spirit to get back into the body. And then once the body and the spirit are reunited, the doppelganger will disappear. So Kolchak wants details and she's like, well, details are going to cost you $200. And (laughs) then she like threatens to put a curse on Kolchak or more precisely her brother will. And he hates having to leave his karate studio. So, yeah, he's like, oh, I understand those kind of curses. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I didn't particularly like Maria because, like, I thought she was going to kind of be like a nice mashup of like Louise Harper and Gordy the Ghoul, like a fraudulent fortune teller kind of thing. It's like she was going to be like a talker, but then also, you know, that kind of like informant stuff. But she's kind of almost like mob like. She's like threatening to harm him unless he gives her money that she doesn't want to give him information anyway. That's kind of like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. So. I really liked her, but I love urban fantasy and I love the trope of like the fortune teller who can help the hero out and like is maybe swindling people, but actually does have knowledge of like actual arcane stuff. So I thought she would have been a good recurring character. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they do call her like a gypsy, which is, yeah, we, we now know is a slur and should not be used, which is not something that was common knowledge in the 70s or 80s or 90s no because then the whole thing about like he's gonna get information you need to find a gypsy girl and all that kind of stuff yeah Yeah, which you know yeah but yeah we have learned i think we know better now yeah no i think she had potential i just didn't like the way they took it like because like there's being like a foil right and like most of kolchak's informants kind of maybe necessarily don't like him and kind of like will get digs at him and you know make him make him fork over the cash right but it's just like she's kind of more of like if you if like if you don't have the money to give me information, then I'm gonna have someone hurt you. It's like that's a different level of like I'm just not gonna help you. So it wasn't that yeah. plus I mean I hate to say this because you shouldn't judge people. She has a lot of gums. Like when she laughs, she's got a lot of gums. And that, oh, I didn't even notice. <laughs> kind of creeps me out. There's like more gums and teeth, and I'm like, that anyway. So it's <laughs> me. So Bond is backstage at a concert hall and he's playing the piano, you know, that kind of like, oh, I'm trying to figure out the music and 
playing the piano. And then he hears something and he calls. I was like, who's there? Who are you? Why do you keep disappearing? So obviously he has been seeing the doppelganger. But Kolchak comes out from behind some stuff and he's like, oh, so who did you think this was? And so Bond says he keeps seeing himself, but yet it doesn't seem to be him. And then he's also been unable to sleep because he's been thinking about the deaths of Mason and Porter, but apparently not Rourke. So uh, he doesn't <laughs> mention Rourke. So Kolchak says he understands because he, Kolchak, is actually really not entirely sure whether he is speaking to Bond or to Bond's doppelganger. So they have a big discussion during which Bond, at first he was kind of like, oh, a doppelganger, that would make more sense to me maybe losing my mind or at least be a better idea than me losing my mind but then he kind of gets credulous about it and then as they're talking suddenly like the lid of the piano just like slams shut and the piano starts making all kinds of crazy noise so they run out and Kolchek convinces him to stay in the church and then he also on the way to the church he questions Bond and learns about like you know what what's been going on like in your life when this started happening and he finds out about the cutting off the funeral procession so he leaves Bond at the church and then he goes and tries to find out whose procession that was that Bond's Rolls Royce cut off. Right. So then we see Kolchak in the INS file room, which is also the men's bathroom for some mm-hmm. reason. Guess they're limited on space. And Kolchak is digging through the file cabinet and he's complaining about what a mess they are. And Updike enters and he complains that he's been slaving over those file cabinets and trying to get them organized. And Kolchak's like, who told you to do that? And he doesn't like Ron's system because like Ron's like, well, try D for death or O for obituary or M for murder. And Kolchak does eventually find the file on Frankie Markov because <laughs> like, is it him or Updike? It's like, you should try A for starting no, all over like, again. No, he's like, maybe I should just try A for starting all over again. And then he actually finds it and it was under A for arsonist. So, right. Yeah. 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 So he gets the file and somehow doesn't strangle Ron and then leaves. So Ron got lucky. <laughs> yep but yeah the bathroom is like the all and what it's like the it's the bathroom obviously because there's functioning stalls in there and then it's the file room and then it's also the dark room so it does yeah. triple duty so yep and i said duty which is funny because you're talking about a bathroom so or maybe not because you didn't laugh <laughs> anyway <laughs> so at the home of the widowed mrs markoff Despite being married for six years, Mrs. Markov honestly doesn't really know much about Frankie because he was a very private person. So during the conversation, she kind of unwittingly makes a bunch of fire puns because she obviously doesn't know he's an arsonist or a criminal at all. And then their son is very preoccupied with something. And then she like, hey, come over here and shakes him down. And of course, her son has matches because it's like father like son, right? So... Kolchek does learn that Markov loved music and he was in a band and he loves a symphony. Turns out he played the horn like Ron. She's like, do you want to see his horn? Kolchak's like, no, I don't want to see his horn. So Kolchak's not a fan of the horn, apparently. And she said she would often walk in on Markov and he'd play his record super loud and he'd be waving a stick in the air like he was conducting. So Kolchak thanks her. And then as he's leaving, he's like, um, uh, and like her son has like started like two different fires in the apartment. So <laughs> Kolchak leaves and she's like, ah, so yeah. So like father, like son. And then now we also get the whole like admiration envy thing because it wasn't just like 
Bond is a famous person, but he also admired Bond because he was a fan of the symphony and wanted to be a conductor. Kind of right. Yeah. He obviously had some aspirations in that way. Yeah. So. So then it's nighttime and Kolchak arrives at Rombino's arcade to see the very spot where Markov was killed. And of course, the manager needs a little help remembering where it happened or what happened. Mm-hmm. And Kolchak is earlier said he had like five dollars left for dinner and he manages to use that money to uh, jog the manager's memory. So apparently Markov was a pinball wizard. And he was gunned down as he played his favorite machine. And so he like takes him over to the machine and he shows him that like the chalk outline is still kind of visible on the floor. And Kolchak's like, okay, cool. Like, you know. Yeah. And the guy's like, here today, tilt tomorrow. Like, oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Some, some pinball puns. <laughs> Although pinball's great. I love playing pinball. Yep. I could I could spend hours. Anyway. Frankie had fingers like flippers, is what he says. Oh my gosh! Once this pandemic is over and I can go to an arcade, I'm just gonna play some pinball and it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> anyway, so Kolchak leaves the arcade and as he's leaving, he looks back down the stairs and he sees the doppelganger standing there staring at him, and then the doppelganger disappears. And so Kolchak runs to his car and he drives off in a hurry. Yep. And then we get another commercial. No one died, though, thankfully, because that would probably have been Kolchak. So that's good. Although we did talk about someone dying. So maybe that's, you know. But anyway, so we come back from the commercial and it's daytime. And we follow the elevated train past the INS offices. And then through the magic of cinematography, we are inside the INS offices. And Kolchak is breaking into Vincenzo's desk to get to the petty cash box. And Monique walks in while he's doing that. And he's taking the cash from the box. And she's like, I would have been happy to loan you money, Mr. Kolchak. No questions asked. And Kolchak is like punch drunk, sleep deprived. He's like kind of like, you know, stumbling around and walking. And he says like he needs the money today to avoid a curse. And then he like gives her like the big wad of cash. And he's like, deliver this money to Maria Hargrove at the little Romany tea house. And then, then he sits down and he starts rummaging through Ron's desk. And Vincenzo and Ron actually enter, and Monique like hides the money in her coat because she's still like holding the money that Kolchak gave her. And Vincenzo asks Kolchak if it would be too much for him to wear fresh clothes to work because he represents INS when he's out facing the public. And Ron is like, "Why are you going to my desk?" <laughs> and apparently, Ron keeps a bottle of caffeine pills, so Kolchak is trying to find his caffeine pills because he's been up for fifty-two hours. So. Ron tells him where they are. He finds them. He grabs the bottles and he gets up and goes to walk across the newsroom and he just like collapses. Boom. So they kind of just stand there and look at him for a while. And Vincenzo's like, what's wrong with him? I've never seen him like this before. So they run over and get him and they like, you know, you need to go home and get some sleep. And he's like, no, I can't go home because if I go to sleep, I'm marked for death by a doppelganger and I need to get the ghost back into the body. And he's just kind of like, they think he's rambling like he's delirious. So yeah they don't know what's going on and so they go into tony's office and try to get him to lie down on the sofa and he's like no no i can't sleep because doppelganger's trying to take over Ryder bond's body and he has to save him and so at this point because we're talking about Ryder bond updeck is like well if bond believes this is the case then maybe he needs their help and kolchak is like you'll help great you can help me dig up markov's body <laughs> <laughs> and ron's kind of like uh and vincenzo's like no no one is digging up anybody's and Kolchak's like, but we got to save Ryder Bond. And then he like, as he's talking, rambling on, he kind of just slowly like, like falls asleep on the couch. So then the phone rings and Tony answers and it's the priest 
at the church where Ryder Bond is at. And he's like, oh, no, no, sorry, Father. He's not available right now. But then Kolchak wakes up and he stumbles over and he grabs the phone and he's like, what? No, I'll be right there. And he runs out of the room. And then like everyone's like, what is going on? And then Vincenzo notices the petty cash box is like totally open and empty on his desk. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah. I love Monique in this episode. She's so great. <laughs> She's exactly like the same character she was in the last one, the UFO one. Because when she first appeared in the zombie, she was not likable. But then, like, her character totally changed. And, like, she was likable. And then, so this one is the same. Yep. Yeah, she's great. I love her in this episode. I'm sad she's not going to be back. Because, like, I love that she's, like, willing to help Kolchak. And she's, like, hiding the money for him. And, like, she probably will go deliver the money. She seems pretty reliable in this one. So I like her a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because this is her last episode. She's only in three episodes. So, yeah. So Kolchak drives to the church and he stumbles inside where Bond's doctor is trying to convince him that he needs to get some sleep. And Sergeant Mayer and an officer are also there. And Bond and Kolchak keep seeing the doppelganger like at the window, but obviously it can't come in. And Mayer finally like concedes like, okay, we can't make you leave. And the doctor tries to protest, but they're like, well, we can't force him out of the church. Like he has a right to be here. So then it turns to night and the doppelganger continues to knock on the window and torment Kolchak and Bond. So he's like up high, like looking down at them. And eventually Bond fitfully sleeps and Kolchak leaves. And in voiceover, Kolchak tells us that grave robbery and body snatching are still punishable crimes. And we see Kolchak digging up a grave and then he pulls up to Rambino's arcade and he has this like heavy duffel bag that he like has to pull from his mustang and like he drags it down the street and down the stairwell and to the rear entrance of the arcade and he breaks the lock and he drags the bag over to the pinball machine and he unzips it and like arranges the corpse to fit the chalk outline that's still kind of visible there yeah the idea of cold tech driving in the state he's in is not enticing to think no. about <laughs> no also like I mean, I know I'm old, but like the idea of like being on that little sleep and then having to like dig up a grave and like haul a body around, like that just sounds so exhausting. It just made me tired watching it. I was yeah. like, this is well, he probably much. got maybe a little power nap or something at the at the church, but well, I would hope so. Yeah. So then after the body's arranged, the doppelganger appears and Kolchik is like, I order you to go back into this body and leave Ryder Bond alone. You're not Ryder Bond. All that kind of stuff, right? And as he's saying that around him, the arcade just starts bursting into flame. Like the little wooden Indian thing. And then some of the games start catching on fire. And then Kolchak continues to demand that Markov return to his body and leave Ryder Bond alone. And then like through the flames, we slowly see like doppelganger, like, you know, cause like we see Bond and then there's a bunch of fire and the fire kind of goes down a little bit. And then we see Markov actually played by the same actor though, but looking completely different, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So it finally complies and goes into the body and then after that, like the arcade is like a raging fire around him. So Kolchak runs out the front door. And as he runs out, we see the street view. There's like a cop walking and like grabs him because we can see there's like it's the place is on fire. Right. We can see through the windows. It's on fire. And then Kolchak is off. They're off screen. And you hear Kolchak like, yeah, anything to do with what's going on in there. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> boom, huge explosion. And like the windows blow out of the arcade. And then we get a commercial. Yep. And so a fire engine pulls up as the arcade burns and firefighters unroll hoses and we hear sirens 
and Kolchak is in the back of the car from the opening and he lifts up his recorder and we can see that he's handcuffed and he tells us the doppelganger is back in his own body and will probably be cremated which is rather sweet poetic justice for Frankie Markov and as for Kolchak he's been nabbed for some stupid arson charge (laughs) you know because he was there and He's unable to get a hold of Vincenzo because apparently it's poker night. So Kolchak doesn't know where he is. So he can't get Vincenzo to come post bail. So at least Kolchak will be able to get some sleep overnight in the slammer. Yep. And then we have the end credit sequence. Yeah. Yeah. So as we mentioned, this is Monique's last appearance. Yeah. Unfortunately. I did find out some information. So one, she was actually 22 when she was in this. Oh, wow. And Darren McGavin and his wife actually discovered her while she was working as a waitress. Like she was doing like some off-Broadway stuff, but like they found her and he had her come in and audition. And she was actually supposed to be like a recurring character, like going to stay on the series. But we kind of discussed this a little bit. One of the reasons why the series only lasted 20 episodes is because they had a lot of production problems and disputes and like they changed producers partway through and the new producer didn't like the character and so that's why it went away and it turns out that she actually thought they got rid of her because they didn't like her acting and then she had gone back you know she was doing other stuff and she had gone back and was like you know waiting tables and like she was doing before and David Chase, the guy who is basically the story editor and, and writes a lot of the episodes, also the guy who created Sopranos, but got his start working on Colchick the Night Stalker. He saw her and was like, hey, and they were talking. And he actually told her, like, no, everyone thought you were great. It was just because, like, they didn't like the character. So she had spent all this time thinking it was her, not just that they didn't like the character. So, Oh, that's a bummer. I mean, I'm glad she yeah. found out otherwise. But, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I would think. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, they hate me. Yeah. And the thing is, the producer came on after the second episode. So he actually came on for episode three. So okay. he had pretty much like he he was a producer for episode three, which is where she's much better. But he had previously seen her in the second episode, which is probably why he didn't like the character. Yeah. And then they were probably trying to change it up. And then he decided they just let's just get rid of her. So well, that's too bad because she is really good in future episodes. So, yeah. It's shame. Yeah, I also found out that Gordy the Ghoul is also only in three episodes. So he's only got one more episode coming when he shows up again. Oh, man. So they have all these great side characters. And then there's just like, which like X-Files, like only at least they come back in the show with X-Files because they're traveling around so much. A lot of the side characters just never come back. Or they're like Danny, who just doesn't (laughs) doesn't exist. Like he's just a guy on the other end of the phone. But... It's, it's just shame. weird because like they list like the four main characters like obviously Kolchek and Vincenzo and then Ron and then Mrs. Cowles right mm-hmm. but then they also say in like other recurring characters they list two and one is Gordy and one is Monique and yet they're both only in three episodes yeah so, that's kind of weird yeah it's too bad yeah although I will say I was I was kind of thinking they were they were pulling a Jersey Devil on us in this one with the whole doppelganger thing but this actually is the original meaning of a doppelganger, a malicious spirit who is a dead person who is trying to possess a living person, take over their life. I did not know that 
I think it's because nowadays we just commonly like refer to someone like seeing their doppelganger, right? Like a physical person. And it can be right. just from like generically seeing someone who looks like you or looks like a celebrity. And then, you know, sometimes there's like the evil twin connotation, but a lot of time that's kind of almost like, you know, it's kind of jokey versus being serious. But yeah. nowadays, I think when we say doppelganger, we just mean someone who looks like someone else. But originally a doppelganger was actually a ghost. I did not know that. Yeah. So. Well, it's also like in a lot of fantasy fiction, it can be, like a omen of death like you see the doppelganger and that means you're gonna die so that kind of plays into the original meaning because like i mean the original meaning is them like taking you over but you know you see a doppelganger is a malicious spirit that like could mean that you're gonna die which if someone takes you over you're kind of dead yeah because your spirit basically is evicted so yeah in a way you do die. yeah so. so and that's that's a common trope in a lot of like urban fantasy and fantasy fiction like that a doppelganger means oh you're gonna die so Hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah i figured they were pulling a jersey devil on us but nope they were no. actually doing the real thing so good job kolchek yeah although i don't have a problem with things taking names of stuff and doing it in a different way as long as they do it well <laughs> mm. that's the key you just got to do it well i might have to go back and listen to our jersey devil episode and see if that is totally right in history or not but we'll find out so well, I mean, I think I said that at the time that I don't mind oh, okay. like when you take a name of something and like, and I think that's pretty common in a lot of, again, I read a lot of urban fantasy and that's pretty common is to take like a monster and like, we're going to do it differently or whatever. And that's, there's even a TV tropes page for like, our monsters are different. And I don't, oh, I don't think there's a yeah. problem with that. I just think that you have to do it well and I, or, you know, actually make it a monster of some kind. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, my memory is shit. So you're undoubtedly probably right so i mean my memory's not good either but i'm pretty sure i probably said that. i mean that's what i think so i'm pretty sure i would have said it at the time maybe too. i was the one who was like this is not the jersey devil what are they doing so that's probably actually more likely so <laughs> yeah all right so i guess it's that time what did you think of firefall i mean it was fine <laughs> it was okay like it wasn't bad it was entertaining like I guess it's a six. A six, okay. Yeah, six, All five, right. six. So yeah. better, better than zombie. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. I was um I was actually leading um six also is what I was going to go with. So again, we are we are this is our second episode in a row where we've just boom been simpatico on the ratings because it's it, it is better than the zombie. Like it's kind of weird. But it still works. It's still, I mean. Yeah, I don't mind weird if it works. And, like, it does have internal logic. Like, I do think some of the explanations of how exactly this thing works are not totally clear. Like, he was an arsonist in in life. Is that why he can, like, start fires? Is that why he can, like, spontaneously combust bodies? Or is that just something doppelgangers can do? Yeah, there is that weird thing of, like, so he's an arsonist, and so, like, at first we're getting, like, spontaneous human combustion, which I think maybe they just wanted to get that in the episode because that was a thing, you know? It was a big thing, and, like, I remember as a kid watching Unsolved Mysteries and being terrified of spontaneous Yeah, and in search of and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah. And so, because then later, like, I kind of skipped over that in the summary in my notes but when he's trying to convince bond that it actually is a doppelganger kolchek he recites off this huge list of people who died from spontaneous human combustion which in a way has nothing to do with the fact that a doppelganger is trying to get bond 
in a way because they're yeah. not linked to doppelganger so it's kind of like they were trying to get that in there and maybe shoehorned it in so there's that but yeah and i don't yeah. mind that i just i think like does it get you when you fall asleep how is it able to spontaneously burn things around you like was that i don't know but whatever point is it worked it wasn't terrible it made enough sense where i wasn't left with this feeling of like what the frick just happened it's almost as if episodes about paranormal fire just naturally don't make sense we had that issue with fire what are your powers what do you do well and i think it's just because like it's so hard on tv to explain like you know i mean it's just not uh yeah yeah whatever it's cool it worked it was fine and Monique was cool so Monique was cool well I'm glad she was cool in her final episode me too so yeah maybe she went to go give that money and she was late and Maria had her brother beat the crap out of Monique and Monique got put in the hospital and that's why we never see her again or maybe she went to give Maria the money realized she could make a lot more being a fortune teller than you know like intern at a newspaper which good call and maybe she decided to work there and so she just became a fortune teller and that's why she doesn't come back to the newspaper she just leaves yeah i do wonder if the zoltar fortune teller machine in the arcade that we see in the beginning is Mm -hmm. like a foreshadowing of maria or if it's just coincidence because i mean those machines existed right yeah they're pretty they were pretty popular they have one at the san francisco what is it called it's like the arcade museum but you can play the games Mm-hmm. it's really cool and they um, had one and i think i got a fortune from it but i i don't know like yeah. i think i lost it but it was like those are really... also very popular as like a paranormal kind of like a story point as well yes like yeah the haunted fortune telling machine kind of thing yeah so. that's a common trope too yeah but yeah all righty right, that sounds like credit time all right credit time I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy and Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. Our premium feed is where you can find all of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, tell a friend about our Patreon page. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch episode seven of Kolchek the Night Stalker, The Devil's Platform. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there. there.
today's episode is brought to you by Fanta pineapple flavor. Yum, yum. I listened to My Mama Told Me's motherfucking mini episode on Thursday and ended up going out and buying six liters of Fanta. I bought strawberry, orange, and pineapple. Pineapple is the best. Also, if you put like three parts orange and one part strawberry together, that's pretty fucking good. So, just so you know. Yes, so I am uh, sugared up.